Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Music Prophet. So today, I I think music lovers are going to find this conversation interesting. We have a classical guitarist in the studio named Jason Doust, and there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot around classical music, composers, but there's also just years of experience that it's great to have these conversations, and you're and it's really a lot of fun. So I think this one for me is going to be really interesting, but at the same time, if you love music and just hearing about it and how it's made, and you're going to enjoy this one. And if not, well, you're going to learn something new. So, uh, welcome, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, tell us about yourself and a little bit about, yeah, just, you play about the classical guitar and, like, what you do with it and just about the classical music and what got you into it. Okay, so, uh, I, I start off, um, uh, well, I guess I, I, do you want to hear, like, how I got into the guitar? Yeah, why not? Okay, yeah, I got my first guitar when I was 12 and, uh... Uh, was really into like Black Sabbath and uh, hard rock stuff like that. Uh, really got into Ozzy Osbourne. Found out his guitarist uh, had been studying some uh, classical music, so uh, incorporated a little bit of uh, learning classical pieces. Spanish Romance is a very very popular piece. Uh, played a couple things and then uh, played uh, death metal. Uh, playing death metal bands here in separate, uh, had tons of fun with that, and then eventually, when it was time to go to school, uh, transitioned into the uh, uh, classical guitar program at Cameron College. Did three years there, and then went to University of Ottawa, uh, studied classical music, uh, classical guitar there again. It was an awesome competitive program, some really amazing players, and it was uh, just being in this environment where everyone's working so hard and you have amazing talent and you're around everyone all the time, uh, when you go out, uh, you're, you're all together. Like every week, our, our entire guitar program would, would go out. We always have this one bar and uh, we we're all teachers so at, and performers. So uh, we would uh, exchange ideas. Uh, people had like they're specialized in this teaching method and they would uh, share their information, different tricks. Uh, uh, as performers, we, we shared all sorts of different tips because we all did it. And it was just this amazing environment. We were always around each other and we all support each other's real family. Uh, so yeah, and, and there I, I really got into uh, not just classical music, but the modern side of classical music. Uh, as I was playing uh, music written in the 20th century uh, and 21st century, uh, I it was really, uh, really got into like music written between 1940 and 1970. There's this really cool, weird uh, 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 experimental phase that music went where it's uh, not necessarily in keys, very 12 tone. Uh, free tone kind of stuff uh, and uh, really enjoyed playing stuff like that and then uh, once I finished school well then you're, you're 
you're thrown to the, the workforce and you got to figure out what you're going to do. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, Yeah, because I, and I feel like, too, with the focus of the 40s to 70s, I, from what I can recall, that's when the whole new music and the transition for jazz as well yeah. went to, it, jazz became experimental in that yeah. time period as well, right? Yeah, well, everything, if you look at the uh, thing like Forbidden Planet, the soundtrack uh, for that, if I remember correctly, it's like a, a, a just a recording unit, and they just crank the gain so that it feeds back, uh, feedbacks, and then there's things that you can do to, to modify the pitch. So that's straight, like, modern, crazy, wacky compositions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it was, became stereotypical sci-fi music, you know, uh, Schubert, big one, Stravinsky, uh, and, and that's what I like about Brower. Brower is very, uh, loves Stravinsky elements, uh, very like nice, aggressive music, uh, but then very lyrical and very sensitive at other times. So I, I really love that. Uh, classical music is great. It's so beautiful and so neat. Uh, even like broke stuff, looking at, at Bach and stuff like that. But the music that sang to me was the modern stuff, the weird, un, ununderstood music. I, I love that, and I love bringing music like that to an audience and uh, having that, that experience. So what is it then about the modern classical era that just draws you to it? Uh, that, that, that's a really great question. Uh, I remember in uh, uh, history learning about how our nervous systems like interact with this music. Uh, I, I f- forget the study, but there's a study that, that uh, if I remember it correctly, our nervous system uh, resonates with certain intervals and stuff like that. And certain sounds, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's sounds that are uh, across from classical music to blues and everything. Uh, so, uh, the music from the classical period, uh, worked for the people of that era and the music that's written today is written for the people of our era. So people change and, uh, what resonates with us today isn't what resonated in the past and vice versa. Uh, so that's why I like modern music because I think, uh, there's a stronger connection. Uh, at this point, the life of classical uh, pieces from the, the classical era, uh, they, they live through interpretations and like, you know, if someone finds a new flavor on it or something like that. Seeing the, uh, we're lucky enough to have the, the GFA winners playing here uh, every year. And often they're playing all these, these very, uh, these places, pieces that have been played for, for a long period of time. They just bring like a new flavor to it. Uh, which is neat, but I, I like, you know, it's cool when you're like first person to play it and you get to dictate how this is played and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It, it's kind of neat to, uh, to have that instead of like, oh, you know, I wish you would have played it this version, this interpretation. I wish you would have accented this chord this way. It's kind of cool when people have no idea and you, you almost get this uh, weird like singer-songwriter uh, feel to it because... People have no idea what you're playing, and they're rather than like, is he going to get this part? They're they don't even know what's coming up. It's a completely different experience. Can you take Can you take us through that process of it? Because with classical music, and may, I get that I know I've noticed this often that 
we sort of we interpret classical music as Bach and Mozart, and that's your stereotypical sound. But in reality, there's so many subgenres, so many ways to oh, approach yeah. it. Well, classical music is only a very small period, right? It's like 1750 till around 1800. Uh, and Bach is not classical music, he's Baroque. Uh, and his sons were involved with uh, the, the transitions that this uh, Steel Gallant, and I forget the, the other transition period. Uh, and then, like, Mozart was seen as being a romantic uh, but even though he's like the stereotype of classical music, at the time he was seen as being a romantic and not a classical composer. Right, so classical is a time period, but everyone attributes it to yeah. a whole genre. Yeah. Beethoven is so not classical music. It's romantic music. Uh, and the philosophies change. Like Beethoven, uh, it, it was all about uh, uh, the, the composer. Uh, you're talking about, uh, and then after you, uh, you like Chopin and, uh, and Sch- uh, Schumann and Schubert and some, uh, these, uh, uh, these these other performers. So yeah, uh, a lot of different philosophies and stuff like that. So there's, I, as a classical musician, if you say classical music, I know what you're talking about. But for us, uh, there's all sorts of different periods within that. Then you, there's all sorts of subgenres within those periods and stuff. Is that a question? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's something that I mean, even for myself, through doing the podcast, but also for the last few years and Mm -hmm. when you really jump into music, it is really interesting how from a general listening standpoint, as a listener, you just hear someone's a classical guitarist or a classical composer, and you just assume it's going to have an orchestra, it's going to have some some strings that just sound really sharp and precise and maybe it will have a few very like very melodic guitar strums and you're like sweet that's classical guitar where like actually what people stereotype the classical guitar as is spanish music it's not even classical music you know if i I were to start playing spanish music you'd say okay that's classical guitar but uh yeah it's funny we have all these different things that we do Hmm. So when it comes to playing a piece and when it comes to choosing a piece for a show, is that the same? Do you think of, like, what are you thinking about when you decide what to play at a concert? Okay, that, that's, that's a really interesting question because there's, there's many different kinds of performances that, that I do as a, as a guitarist. So, uh, Maybe I'll go through the different gigs yeah, that I Yeah, let's do. do it. Yeah, so uh, there, there's like, uh, back in May, I played for the uh, Keys of the Library series, which I now am running, uh, and we had a concert yesterday. Right, uh, the Keys to the Library series that happens on the Saturdays, it's restarted, right? Yes, yes, we're, we got a full season, uh, we're going to have a concert every month, and it's a fundraiser so that we can uh, get a, a, well, it's Keys to the Library because we're raising money for a piano. So uh, we had that, and we had uh, some guitar there. Uh, but back in May, I, I played there, and uh, I was, like, thinking, uh, okay, it's more of a classical uh, concert. So I played, uh, I took some of my favorite pieces from when I was studying, uh, put them together, and I had about a month to put the concert together. And then... Uh, 
so yeah, it, it was able to use more uh, a little artsier stuff. Uh, there, there's a piece that I really love by Leo Brower called the, the Canticum, uh, which it, it's a two movement work written in 1968, and uh, it's it's uh, atonal. It's uh, it. it there's no real sense of key in it. Yeah, it's not harmony. Yeah. Well, not traditional harmony. It's like cluster chords. It's a bunch of random notes stacked one on top of the other. Uh, and, and, like, as much as they're random notes, there's a method to his madness. Mm-hmm. But that, that piece is awesome for that sort of a setting. But if I'm playing in a bar, like this project that I've been pushing, uh, that probably would not work. Although I, I've kind of... You know, I've decided, like, you know what, let's, let's go for it, you know. Uh, I've tried that piece in a bar, and uh, if there's the right mood, it works. But if you're playing before comedians or a metal band, as it often happens, uh, I, I often try to use something more contemporary, uh, something uh, maybe a little more, uh, a little more relevant. So that's where uh, these video game arrangements come in. And I'll always get someone kind of approach me and like, oh, was, was that The Last of Us or was that Diablo or whatever it was? So uh, uh, that's where that sort of repertoire comes in. Uh, because it's a little more uh, refined arrangements that, that suit uh, the, the sound that I'm chasing with this bigger, fuller sound. And I'm usually I'm using effects in that situation so I can do different things. I'll, I'll do improvs and stuff like that. Uh, just kind of improvise for you know, five, ten minutes, something like that. And with uh, with the access to something like delay or a synth pedal, I can kind of experiment or a, a, a looper, like a loop station, and sometimes I can solo over something. Uh, and then you get gigs like a, a wedding. So where you're playing like Here Comes Bride, Canon D, all your classic pieces, and then... Uh, uh, yeah, which is a completely different set. Uh, and then uh, background music is quite similar to that. But then background music, uh, you know, a little bit different of a, an environment again. Uh, you know, play like uh, jazz standards and stuff like that. Right. So it's, so you're almost, you, t- you pick and choose yeah. based on the environment and just... Yeah sort of the same way as yeah. any other musician would. And, and then uh, if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're playing like in a musical, like I've, I've had to do, uh, it's handed to you and you got a month to learn it. It's all often, every song's a different style. You just got to be able to do it. So yeah, all sorts of different uh, uh, types of preparation for different gigs. Is there a lot of freedom in that? Like, especially when it comes to learning in setting up shows, is there a lot of freedom in the pieces you can choose or do you find that it's restricted and there's only a few set composers that people know and that you have to do as a crowd pleaser? Depends on the gig. Bar gigs, I can do whatever I want. Uh, a wedding, there, there's ways around it. Like there, there's a uh, certain moods you don't want to uh, uh, use. Uh, you, you wouldn't want something too sad for a wedding. Of course yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's things like that, and, and it's funny. Like I, I've definitely like gun ready for gigs, and like you got a million different gigs going on at once. So the more things you can play for all of them, the easier your your preparation is. So sometimes you can figure out, or like uh, this chord isn't gonna work well 
in this environment. So sometimes I'll change the composition a little bit, which is, of course, frowned upon in classical music. But when you're you're working a gig, it's a uh, it's a little bit different. So sometimes uh, I've had to modify compositions to to make them uh, work. Sometimes it's like the beginning of the piece doesn't work, or you'll cut the beginning or something like that. But that's also where their creativity comes in, right? Because Absolutely. a lot of the great musicians are able to take a piece, add their own spin on it, and make it timeless. Yeah, and uh, show themselves through the music. That's what I, I find interesting is seeing what the person has to say. Even uh, And I feel in classical music, there's the same thing. Like There's a lot of scrutiny, how precise it is, how, uh, you know, how clean uh, what the decisions of the person made. But I love hearing uh, the voice of the musician. I, I think that's very important to have that individual uh, in it. It's not to forget, like, sometimes it's okay to break rules to bring yourself out. You've also mentioned that your background did start with, like, Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. right? And uh, one of his guitarists, his, his first guitarist was uh, Randy Rhodes, who, who passed away uh, at a really young age, unfortunately. And uh, there were talks that he was actually going to leave the band uh, to study, uh, to, to get his undergrad, and he wanted to, to get his master's degree. And uh, I, I really got interested in this music uh, uh, before, before doing my, my post-secondary studies, but also uh, during my, my studies, because I studied a lot of the same pieces that, that he did. Uh, there's a very popular uh, set called the uh, uh, 12 Simple Preludes by Leo Brower, a uh, composer that I brought up earlier. Uh, so he he was uh, a very important composer, and uh, Randy Rhodes was, was learning those pieces uh, because if you look at the second album, uh, there's hints of it everywhere. Uh, in the song Flan Eigen, one of the licks is, is stolen from those pieces, and stolen in, in a great way. Uh, I, I think it's great that he made the connection between this Cuban music and uh, and heavy metal. And then there's uh, the, the famous story of uh, Diary of a Madman that he used. Uh, it, it, it's called the uh, Etude Six uh, uh, from Leo Brower, and he just changed the arpeggio in it, and uh, he he created the, this amazing uh, gothic sound, uh, which is a character that that's throughout that second album. It's very dark, rich. Uh, all the chords that he's using uh, were, were coming from this, this etude. It's almost note for note, uh, the, the first section of etude six. So I, 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 uh, I got into that and started making all these uh, connections between uh, rock and roll and classical music. And then how, how can I implement that into my own form? So then, and you've mentioned... At the before the show, you sort of joked about the French death metal band. Oh, yeah. So, how did you connect classical guitar and the very technical details that come with that to the death metal? Well, well that was far before. So, uh, uh, back when I was playing uh, in uh, playing metal, uh, I, I was in high school and I started getting into bands like Light of God, stuff like that, and. Uh, uh, formed a, uh, a metal band at my uh, French Catholic high school, which went over so well. Uh, you know, it, it was great because uh, the, 
they didn't know how to deal with uh, mosh pits and stuff like that, which we got a few of. Uh, and yeah, we, we, we got into a lot of trouble because, uh, uh, and like the, the topics of the songs were death metal topics, you know, uh, things like uh, uh, heartbreaks and suicide and, you know, yeah, uh, things that I imagine a Catholic school board wouldn't be a fan of. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was funny. They, uh, they they didn't like us very much. You know, they, uh, our music teacher was great. She she gave us as much room as she could, but uh, they, they didn't like having uh, death metal played at their uh, their school concerts, which is great. But that led into another band, uh, which uh, I. I played in and we, we played around town uh, a little bit, but then I got into the, the classical music. Yeah, and now you also teach classical, right? Yeah, well, when you're a guitar teacher, you got to be able to teach everything. So uh, whatever song someone wants to learn, uh, I, I get so many requests from country to classical to metal to, to pop. Uh, you got to be able to do everything, and you got to be able to do everything right on the spot. So, uh, uh, yeah, my, my job is, is it, it's crazy. You're, you know, you're teaching like Malmsteen licks, and then you're you're teaching uh, smoke on the water, and then you're teaching uh, like uh, classical method and stuff. So yeah, I, I got I quite a few students that study classical guitar and and that compete as well. So it's it's funny going from being a and also, uh, you know, being a teacher and a coaching, coaching through performances and stuff like that. Can you actually, I think that's a really interesting thing for anyone listening, but also for other people who are teachers and performers. How do you, how do you make that switch? And how do you balance going from performing on stage and then all of a sudden going off stage and a few hours later having to teach someone yeah. what to do? Well, I remember uh, a couple years ago, uh, we had our recitals uh, during the summer, and immediately after the recitals, I had to go play at Bell Park. And uh, it was, <laughs> you're, you're uh, like you're sitting there coaching six-year-olds how to go up, bow, and remember their music. And you know, you, you got to make all these judgment calls, like how prepared are they? And oh no, that's really good, Timmy. You know, oh no, just. Uh, if, uh, there's like all the all this problem solving because you, you don't want a student to be alarmed and you need to, to be aware of uh, where their challenges are and making sure they're as prepared as possible. And they usually do uh, amazing, right? But you, there's a lot of like what can go wrong you got to figure out and then you got to like... Turn that off almost, right? Yeah, yeah. T- take a dress shirt off, like chuck that away, throw on some ripped up band t-shirt throw on the, the, you know, the jeans and ripped up jeans, then you got to go out. And when you're, you're performing as it, like in a rock band, like I was playing in at the time, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta have this, this different attitude and, you know, you're having a beer before going on, which, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's like split personality. Uh, and when you're a performer, you need to have a certain amount of, uh, uh, Confidence, maybe. Yeah, you gotta have confidence. You gotta feel like you're. If you're up there and you're not convincing people that you belong there, they're not gonna listen. So, which is a completely different personality from from teaching, where you need to be very sensitive 
to, to the, the situation. It's cool you mentioned that. So can you, and when I, like, it's, it's, it's actually, it's really cool you mentioned that you have to have the, a bit of that ego and I deserve this stage and not you type of personality. And so when you started, like, what are some tricks or what is, what, what sort of mindset tricks do you have that help you get into that thought? Fake it till you make it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big one. Uh, Well, being a big Aussie fan, I, I always viewed a performance. It's not so much that uh, I'm up there and you're not. It's for me, it's I'm up here and, and I know what I'm doing. I want you to know that I know what I'm doing. I'm, uh, especially the, uh, uh, the gig that I'm working on, uh, it's very kind of meditative and all about uh, the room. So when you're performing, you, you need to convince your audience that uh, you know what you're doing and uh, you need to convince them to, to mentally come on for, for the journey. Uh, they talk about this in, in comedy. Uh, comedy does that. Uh, really good comedians allow people... This is a Joe Rogan quote. Uh, really good comedians uh, uh, allow, uh, uh, c- convince the audience to let the comedian think for them. And they, they bring them into all these different places. I I, I guess you kind of got to do that with, with sound. You, you got uh, to convince people to come for that ride and to you know, see where it goes. Uh, so uh, Right, almost like it almost... Because when you think almost kind of like having that really strong opening riff, yeah. when rock, when you go to a rock concert and... You need a strong song to start off. So you need to let your audience, you, you got to punch them in the face and they're not, not, not... Metaphorically, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got to, like, when that first song ends, people got to go like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, yeah. So you got to let, you got to let everyone know that you're there. And you know exactly what you're doing. And then you reel them in. Is, is, there, is there an element of performing that you find? Like, because you've done all genres, right? So is there... I've done a lot. Yeah, you've done, you've done quite a bit. Yeah. So is there a certain style or genre that you prefer to play live? Hmm, that, that's really interesting. Uh, I think the further I'm getting... And, and where I am, uh, music changes for me all the time. Uh, I think I've learned to appreciate all of them for what they are. That, that's a, a, an outlook that I try to have on music rather than having a favorite. Just trying to understand what the music is trying to do and trying to respect that. Uh, as if I'm, if I'm listening to, to another musician, just trying to get what they're doing and why they're doing it and just really enjoy what they do rather than whether I like it or not. Uh, and it's the same thing for performing. I love all different kinds of performances. Uh, so it, it's fun playing classical music because I find it so difficult and it takes so much practice and it's so scrutinized. But whenever you, you succeed it and you do well, it's such a rush. But then with a rock band, you can, you can, uh, you know, you, you can really, uh, you can screw different. up as well. Yeah, and, and it's not—it's not about playing note for note. And I had trouble with that when I started because I was so used to this different way of performing. And it's—it's uh, it, it's, you're also with a band, 
you're with your friends and you're, you're going up and you're celebrating together on stage. And uh, if the crowd gets into it, you, it becomes this completely different thing. And uh, I probably have also like different personalities. And then sometimes like a new personality comes out. Like I remember for a while, like I started jumping out into the crowd, like really getting aggressive with the audience and stuff like that. that that's a lot of fun. Right. It's, so it almost reminds me of, I spoke with Sean Cosmo uh, in one of the, the fourth or fifth episode of this show. And we spoke about that. And that's what he said the same, that when he goes on stage, he wants to become that, like the gay rock star that he's always it's been inspired by. He does a great job with it. Right. And I mean, Sean Cosmo kills it on stage and he's one of the, one of the few people that will just, the minute he walks on stage, you know that you have to watch him. You have to watch his show. So it's really interesting that connection between the way that he saw him, but then you're, and it's the same thing that for you it brings out that almost yeah. alter ego. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. Like in, in real life, I'm, I'm generally very quiet, uh, and then as a performer, you know, you, you try to be loud. Uh, and in Sean Cosmos, are, you know, in thing Tropic Thunder, there he, he's not done until he's done the, the DVD commentary. You know, he doesn't break character at all. Yeah, I, I've seen him play, and uh, yeah, he he is committed. Yeah, it's incredible, and and when it especially when at River and Sky. Uh, the 2019 River and Sky, he played with 30 Princes, and it was just, it's incredible. Yeah. It's, it was one of those performances that he matched the headliner, nice. who are, they're a timeless band that have years of experience, and Sean Cosmo's band one went, went on before, and you're like, man, <laughs> this is at the exact same level of enthusiasm yeah. and commitment. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, He's a really great performer. Who are, I'm actually, that's a, I'm curious to hear who some of your local influences and inspirations are for music, considering that your range. Hmm. It's really, it's really interesting. Uh, uh, local, well, I, I guess there'd be the classical guys in town, uh, like I, I studied at Cambridge, so Matt Matt Gould's an influence there, uh, and then like my my uh, well, town. Uh, very few. A lot of my influences tend to come like off the internet. Uh, there have been some performers that have come in that do something more along the lines that I, I do. Uh, I, I played with a, a really wicked cellist from. I think he's from London, uh, Alder Nash. Uh, we played in December. And then there's also uh, Vinu Vinu was playing on that bill. And it, it was great because uh, he was like a, a an audio engineering guy. And then uh, uh, Gabriel from uh, Vinu Vinu was a classical pianist who did electronic music. And we kind of had all these like cool, weird mixes of like classical instrument and modern music. So something like that, like that really influenced me. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember we were shooting different ideas and it is uh, things like that. I, I don't know if there's, there's too many. Uh, In video game soundtracks, it yes. seems like that's also 
which is an odd inspiration, but video game soundtracks yes. seem to be your thing too. Yes, yes. That's, uh, I, I don't know exactly how that happened. It, it's over a couple years of uh, uh, fascination with video games, but at the time I wasn't the biggest gamer either, but I started finding it really interesting how the uh, video game music industry grew and uh, a lot of classic uh, tracks. It, it wasn't, it's not like today. Today, in video game music, it's all uh, uh, doctors and people with their, their PhD in, in uh, composition writing music, for, for the most part. There's a lot of uh, really amazing indie stuff, too. Uh, thinking Supergiant Games is, is a, 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 a developer that they've got their own composer, and he's, uh, he's doing everything on like shoestring budget. Uh, his sound booth is closet. I forget his name, but he won an award for best soundtrack mm-hmm. one year. Well, and even even with GTA, for the majority of the series, they actually they have it's done by uh, Onel, okay, who's related to a jazz producer called Madlib. But these cool. two, it's a lot of the Grand Theft Auto soundtracks are done by a jazz slash hip hop producer, yeah. who's yeah. given those. So you're right; like it's there is a lot of talent within that. Yeah. And looking at Diablo, Matt Human was uh, a rock musician uh, who had had uh, piano lessons as a kid, and that's all his theory background. And from what I understand of him, he uh, he's very uh, he knows a lot about the engineering side, the way he talks about instruments. Uh, he loves specific instruments because they're something absolutely unique about like how that instrument design uh did a little interview for hob when hob kind of came out talks about like what uh i forget what kind of guitar he was using uh but he's really interesting because if you look at diablo uh he layers classical guitar 12 string guitar acoustic mandolin uh and then like oh i, I think electric in there, mm-hmm. as well as the flute and uh using his engineering skills creates this amazing gothic sound and uh, he's he's doesn't have years and years of school. He just he's very clever with what he's got. And someone asked him like, "How did you get your, your job?" He, he said, uh, "Drop off resumes and harass your employer until they hire you." And, and like, this isn't a guy that that got on for having a huge hit. He got on with Blizzard before Blizzard was was Blizzard. And then he just ended up popping in and writing all these these amazing tracks. The other part that we haven't touched on that I think would be really interesting for myself, but also for people listening, is looking at the teaching side of it. Because with what you do and with the the classical guitar, the way that you you teach guitar to almost 50 to 60 people a week, you said, right? Yeah, it's, uh, well, school just started and uh, I'm already up to 50 students, so I'm, I'm expecting that to hit you know, 60, 65 before I, I got to start saying no. And that's every week, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you got to prep all those lessons. And uh, I, I'm often working from 9 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night. So, yeah, it's... it's uh, it. I, I didn't realize it when I got into it. it it's, it's hard work, and uh, it takes a lot of energy because you're often... Uh, you're performing in the lesson because uh, you need to keep focus and you, you often need to be gauging how much energy they've put out 
and you need to, to ease off a student because a student can't work for 30 minutes straight. I, I can't work for 30 minutes straight. Uh, so I need to gauge how, uh, how their focus is. And often I'm working with young, young children. Uh, I've got a student right now that's four. And, uh, and it's a completely different ballgame. It's not like, hey, do this, do that. It's like this student can't even look you in the eye right now. And the student went from uh, uh, saying three words in three lessons to completely opening up one lesson. And, and now I can get the ball rolling. And, uh, so uh, not only is it a lot of people to teach, it's a lot of different personalities, and you need to relate with every single one of these people to get them to, to experience the guitar, and to get them able to learn it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's a lot of you, you got to make a lot of calls all the time. And you're giving back, I feel like too at that point. I, I hope so. It, it's very rewarding for me to see. Uh, like I had a student make uh, provincials last Kiwanis, and good it, for you, man. It, it was it was great. Yeah, it, it was a lot of a lot of fun, and uh, uh, it, it's fun being a coach. I never would have thought I'd enjoy it the way that I do, but it's, uh, it's, uh, actually I end up discovering that I love teaching as much as I do performing. And that was, that was a huge realization for me. Uh, and like doing concerts, uh, and watching students perform, I almost get the same rush. So you're, you're just watching everything. You're, uh, uh, if something goes wrong, oh, geez, what, what could I have done? Or whenever the student raises, uh, rises to the occasion, it's it's a it's a ton of fun to see them them have success, and whenever they they have success, it is all their work. They they put it together and they rose to the occasion. Yeah, because you went through that yourself individually, yeah. but then now you're able to, and you know how that felt. So you're now able to watch other students yeah. hit that same peak, and, and you know exactly how they're feeling. Exactly, and whether uh, they end up being musicians themselves or. Uh, whatever they study in, I, I think that those skills and uh, being faced with challenges like that, uh, challenges where you're graded, uh, you, you're competing, uh, and right, like learning how to deal with those situations, I, I think that's really uh, important. Uh, and some of these, these kids are six, you know, as young as six, uh, as old as, you know, 18, and being able to do that, you know, before you go doing uh, and whatever you end up studying, I think it's important to be able to, to understand what, what challenges like this are and knowing that pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. And I hope that my students have that and it helps them uh, in their lives. Right. And I think that's a really good way to wrap things up. I mean, we've covered quite a bit and it's a really good way to go out, I think. So, uh, so thank you for listening. And uh, before, before you go, tell us where we can find you online, Jason. Uh, I, I will have a Facebook page that I'm working on. Uh, I'm working on all my, my social media stuff. It will be out uh, shortly. Uh, if, if you want to get a hold of me, just get a hold of my, my personal, uh, personal Facebook page, Jason Doe, uh, D-A-O-U-S-D. Uh, and just contact me there. Uh, thanks for coming on, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and uh, you can catch and listen next time for what for what we have next, and we'll see you. Yeah, we'll see you next time on the Music Prophet.